Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2 with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999, playing poker for human scalps here in 2021. Wow. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Felisco. And with us today from the great This Has This Had Oscar Buzz podcast is Chris Feel. I did I did ask you. It is Feel, right? It's file. It's file. What a shithead. That's um, okay. Not you, because, me. Uh, <laughs> no, I can I can just uh I, I can run I've run with this my whole life. Um I, 
Yeah, it's fine. It also As feels a- like the the and I'm to defend Kenny. I feel like whatever someone assumes is the right pronunciation most times feels like it's wrong, right? Like the the go to yeah. is always. Yeah. As a fellow uh, Germanic name haver, <laughs> I get uh, I get ni- I get Nibart all the time, and I'm Nibart. Yeah. Um, the I get reason I said all the time. Yeah. Well, I, Ice Cove just sounds great. That's just a good sounding name. I know it's unfortunate. <laughs> I have a friend named, I have a friend, your name, your spelling, Chris Feel. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That's the exact wild. same name, the exact same spelling. So uh, I, 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 we said we got together, we convened and said there can be only one. <laughs> yes. <and this> is <laughs> how we worked it out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's uh, I, yes, and I think files a, a far superior pronunciation as a uh, German eye have as well. No matter how cool. you pronounce it, it opens itself to all different type of schoolyard people making this fun of you. Sure. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 You know that's what are you gonna that, do? That that, <laughs> that 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 that's the uh, the trouble with having a name. You know, kids <laughs> are assholes. <laughs> yes, kids are pieces of shit. <laughs> I'm um, hereby uh, only going by the artist formerly known as Chris File. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yes. Yep. Uh, so, Chris, you're uh, you're on to do mm-hmm. Ang Lee's Ride with the Devil, a film uh, that's come up here and there on our podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning of this journey four years ago or so, we we definitely highlighted how so many of our premier directors had a film here and so many of them this year i mean so many of them were not you know among their their best or or, or most well well regarded films um this is probably ang lee's biggest whiff uh at least critically i don't mean in terms of how the way i feel about it but if it wasn't in the criterion collection it would (laughs) absolutely be like his least regarded like the least remembered mentioned and like it makes total sense because like he as an artist like has these huge swings that are either hits or entire Mm -hmm. misses and this is an entire miss and it's like it's fascinating for so many different reasons it's it's also interesting too because you know we'll we'll talk about sort of like ang's career but but i do think that it, it falls at an interesting time too because you know, he's coming off of Sense of Sensibility in the Ice Storm. He has this film, and then quickly, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon comes right after it. But the later flops are a more expensive flops. I mean, you know, <laughs> Gemini Man and 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 uh, Billy Lynn are, are very expensive technological swings. Um, and he hasn't had a hit in a while. Like he hasn't had but something he, that's really connected in a while. He's also had. He also has two Oscars now. Yes, correct. Correct. One of correct. them, um, you know, <laughs> one of them is for a movie that uh, he he kind of got it because of the technical wizardry of it. Right. So uh, at and after Le- Ben Affleck wasn't nominated. 
Whatever. <laughs> after, he, he, after, listen, listen. Don't get, don't get me on my high horse about uh, talking about how underrated Lincoln is. Don't, don't, don't make me do it. Oh, that's I, interesting. I love uh, Lincoln. Lincoln's great. I mean, I, like, uh, not underrated. People like that movie, but sure, like at sure. the time, people yeah. were such uh, snobs to that. It was a weird, Correct. weird, Correct. weird moment for the yes. Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire last decade, the the, the teens yeah. were were a total fucking nightmare. But uh, the thing with Ang. <laughs> Lee and Life of Pi, as far as I can tell, is what he got after that was the ability to try a lot of fucking shit. You know, like like he's trying some weird ass shit with Gemini Man and with Billy Lynn uh, that and I think he can kind of just do that forever now. I I do think he has almost as James Cameron ish like you have certainly delivered for us many times over. Um, what he did with Brokeback, after Brokeback, I mean, uh, is kind of the place where I'm like, what were you doing and what were you yep. thinking and where were you yep. going and what were you like? That's the one you, you know, that, that that's when you really try some narrative and thematic shit that I feel like he pulled back big time. Yeah, his career, to your point, Kenny, I agree with you, post Brokeback is a little bit flummoxing just because you're sort of like less caution taking Woodstock are two films that for all intents and purposes don't really exist. I mean, and I, I don't say that, you know, derisively in terms of left caution. I know there are people that quite like that film. And I, I love a, that movie. So I, I don't, I don't we, mean to suggest podcast, that it's a bad We did movie. an episode of it. Yeah. I, I fucking love that movie. Um, and, and, and by the way, I'm not, I don't, I didn't mean that in a, in a shitty way. I just mean, no, no, that's no. a, that's a swing at coming off of, you know, we're going to do our top five Ang Lee films at the end of at the end of this podcast, and we'll we'll talk about sort of what I would argue are probably about four stone cold masterpieces, and then like other films that kind of fall into his category into his filmography that are fascinating. And I think Les Caution is one of them. Taking Woodstock's more of a head scratcher because you're just sort of like, why? Like why? Why? Why did we do this movie? Like well, I, I just. I, yeah. One of the weirdest, uh, one of the weirdest slams at the end of a trailer of all time from Ang Lee, the 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 goofy Dimitri Martin movie, um, which by the way I like, but I, yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad movie. Yeah, no, I do. I like it. Just, it. I, I don't think a lot of it like works, and it's just like it's. I mean, in terms of like. It, that's probably the hardest one to pin to another one of his movies because like it's really easy to kind of like see some dualities in some of his uh work and uh like maybe in terms of how they were received it's on par with ride with the devil in terms of like it wasn't like it was reviled but like it died immediately yes. <laughs> immediately gone um <laughs> But, like, uh, Taking Woodstock had better distribution than this movie did, which, like, uh, this is from USA Films, which, like, was one of the precursors to, like, Focus Features, which does a lot of Ang Lee's movies now. And, like, James Shamus wrote this movie. It was also the partnership with Good Machine. It's this weird transitional time that, like, we've talked about on my podcast before, where it's, like, the indie distributors for like these major studios this is underneath universal like this is they're trying universal's trying to figure it out right mm-hmm. and it's like they have this movie which is incredibly like expensive for what it yeah. is mm-hmm. and like it, it's maybe not his biggest bomb because it's not his biggest budget but like 
in terms of the know, scale <laughs> of the bomb and how much money this movie made relative to what it cost. That's <laughs> that's the biggest. I, I, I mean, think, I, I, yeah. I to your point, I don't I don't have like the numbers to compare it to his others, but I'll just say like a thirty eight million dollar budget that makes back six hundred and thirty five thousand dollars twenty is, years ago <laughs> is rough. That's a 638. rough uh, I think there are a couple of things here. Uh, one, because I think it's interesting what you're saying about the uh, those corporate studio attempts mm-hmm. to build these indie studios under them. And uh, the the oxymoronic nature of that has always been kind of interesting to me because indie stopped being obviously about independent cinema. Like that's it's it literally makes no sense. It was uh, it was some kind of weird catch all term for for quality um, and and elevated quality to some extent, but but quality. And all of a sudden, you know, four years after the uh, that indie run of the Oscars in '95, uh, one of which was The English Patient, which kind of falls into this. Um, somehow, a Civil War epic becomes an indie movie. Right, yeah. like, like some somehow that's that that is now also an indie movie. Uh, so with one that with major stars, forty million dollars, forty make. million dollars, and is all yeah. like the appeal of the movie is the historical accuracy and like yeah. sending them off to like training so that they can uh, like truly enact uh, like how to do these like shitty old guns. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. And then it does make the, me think about Cold Mountain, though, which comes out a few years after this, right? And is also sort of, to your point, Kenny, baked under this pseudo-independent kind of vibe with Miramax and it being, at the time, the most expensive film that Miramax had ever sort of bankrolled and this, that, and whatever. But but they're different movies, but by, I think I'm, but, you understand what I'm saying, Kenny. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, by then, they they just kind of, you know, dropped, dropped the bullshit act and acknowledged yes. that, they were, that they were making big movies, too. Right yeah. when New Line starts making uh, uh, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, yeah. you knew it was over, right? Like at that point, they're they're all the same, and then you had these. Eventually, you had these these new actual indies coming up beneath them. You know, your A twenty fours and whatnot that eventually kind of were in and now aren't anymore either. It's just that's just the nature of the business. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you know we're going to talk about, but I want to bring it up now is uh, Jewel and. Yes. Uh, Listen, Why? when I picked this episode, I followed my heart, my intuition, <laughs> yes, and it led me in the right direction. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> she's I, good I, at this. I, I like have her no, in this. She's yes. good. I, I'll tell I, you I, what, I, she's better than her co-star. You know, well, we will talk about him. This is time. also a huge time for Jewel. Like, we'll talk about we'll talk about that guy in a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get. Wait, there. is we'll this post we'll her second album? I think right. So, not only is this the year after her second album, but yeah. also in 1998, she has her book of poetry. That's of a course. big deal, and I was going to bring that up. <laughs> God forbid we some... forget that Jewel has a book of poetry. Jewel comes. Jewel. Jewel is. Oh, Chris, you want to say something? I was going to say, is that book still in print? Good question. Uh, a night without armor. Oh Jesus! Hold on. Is it with a, with a K? Uh, oh no, it's with not an N. with a K. Is this with an N? A night without armor it makes and more sense. I don't that believe way. it is still Jewel in print. Shit for her not knowing how to use words. Personally, I can relate. 
there was this, I remember this from MTV, Kurt Loder interviewing her about it. And specifically over the word casualty. And she like shuts down because he calls her out on like not knowing the meaning of words. And she like calls him glib or something. I think that was Tom Cruise, but something like that. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, uh, like shuts down. <laughs> so I, I, you're, you're, you can still get it on Amazon right now, just for yeah, those I mean, listeners who do want to buy it. Buy a, great, a, a book that opens with the bony ribs of Adam. But yes, please continue. But it's, it's, it's by a great, a great thought person great. of the 20th yeah. century. So I, I want to run through Jewel real fast. Please. Here's the thing: there's a few things with Jewel that uh, are interesting to me. One is, you know, Jewel was a yodeler. Like an actual yes. real life yodeler. That's how she made her money. She lived in her car. She came down from Alaska. She yodeled at high schools. I know this because she yodeled at my wife's high school before That's she cool. got famous. Um, then, and I think it was 95, that first album comes out and it kind of hits like, like, uh, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a, yeah, like, a, yeah, yeah, like, a, like a rocket ship, right? Yeah. People sure. really love this. And this is a period of time when artists like Jewel would come out with one album and kind of break out on the mainstream. Now, I think Jewel kind of got bigger than most of her, her like counterparts. Uh, yeah. Counterparts. Your Joan Osborne's you know, of, the, of the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like Sarah McLaughlin's like, yes, yes like a lot of them, have, you know, wound up doing, doing, uh, theme songs for teen shows, and then sure. you know, but or and then a lot of them wound up on Lilith Fair, and I think Jewel transcended that a little bit. And then and then she puts out this poetry out, this poetry book, and uh, America in mass said, no, 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 you stay in your lane, Jewel, <laughs> you stay in your lane. We know how to send you back to Alaska, and we will do it. And that, was, and that was so fucking mean and cruel. And then yeah, we were to fucking do... assholes then. You were yeah. monsters. Like, yeah. It's not good. I remember it's reading the Jewel Poetry book, and I cannot say I will not. I will defend her, but not in a way that I can say that it's good. But like, it, you have to admire her for like trying these things and like mm-hmm. still have a sustaining career like in the span of two years she's in her first acting role in one of the world's most important directors and it's like not some cameo role this no. isn't like uh i don't know this isn't a real thing but like emmy lou harris showing up in cold mountain sure. not real i mean it's the equivalent like, of it be like that. we have we have two courtney love performances in 1999 uh and so I, I would assist, you know what I mean? And, and who we believe is one of the sort of unsung heroes of 99 in the sense that she's an actor, a musician a that became actor. an actor, you know, and, and as, as I'm sure your podcast has talked about this, you know, Hollywood doesn't think kindly on musicians that decide they want to be actors all of a sudden. Right? But they, but they, but they give the benefit of the doubt they do. yeah. to crazy weirdos like Courtney Love. Yeah. And yeah. And quote unquote, I mean, and don't get me wrong. I think Courtney Love's music is incredible, and I love her. Um, but she is outside of what I think Hollywood, what, what, yeah. what Hollywood would call like their mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jewel is right in the middle of it, yeah. and when a Jewel or a Mariah Carey or even a Whitney Houston or a Madonna, when a lot of these people who are like in the club then go try to make a movie, they get just destroyed. Which destroyed. is why I think Lady Gaga in uh, in Stars, Stars Born is one of the greatest fucking things I've ever seen because everybody wanted her to die in that movie. 
everyone everyone just wanted her to everyone wanted her to just yeah. fucking go up there and humiliate yeah. herself it did. and it like did. even like the biggest haters were like even people who didn't like that movie who are my sworn enemies uh were like you like phil used to be before he came around um even you were like even you were like Lady Gaga was amazing. She's good in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I'll say this though. For for what it's worth, I don't think that this role for Jewel has uh is is as dynamic or as rich as you would hope because she fucking shows up, is the thing. Like yeah. from her first moment in the film, which is about 45 minutes into it. It's a real kick in the ass. Like, it's a moment where you're like, I need to pay attention now. Like, she commands your attention. She's charming. Totally. She's very watchable. And then, unfortunately, she disappears for large swaths of the movie. And when she services, it's to breastfeed, it feels like. It's, it, she just doesn't really do much in this movie, unfortunately. She's but not asked she fucking very much. It. But, yeah. like, I, she's at least a more natural presence than uh, some other All of her counterparts in this film? Basically. Uh, except for Jeffrey yeah, Wright. Jeffrey Right, yeah. They dye Margot Martindale's hair red, so it's like you can't even get invested in Margot Martindale. No, um, I was that was too her and and uh, uh, Wilkinson. I was just like, why did yeah. you cast? They're, they're so wasted. They don't even do anything for a second. Yeah, yeah. But and, like the stakes are a little bit lower for Jewel, and like you would think going into it again, that like expectation that like the stakes would be higher because yeah. of Angley's stature, even at this sure. point, you know, it's not, you know, it's pre crouching tiger, pre broke back mountain, but like Ang Lee is still like a huge name. Yeah. Um, it, you would think it would be higher, but like, it's almost kind of like this weird artifact. Remember when Jewel was in an Ang Lee movie, but like, no, she, yep. she, I think the low stakes, kind of serve her because she can just be a very natural presence on screen. Um, I would also, you know, so apparently DiCaprio and Matt Damon both turned down the Tobey Maguire role. Smart. Which is, which makes sense. And I, I, but, but I, I come back to sort of, um, this is Toby at his worst, in my opinion. And, oh my and I, I, I really, I there are Tobey Maguire films that I adore. I straight up love The Ice Storm. I love Wonder Boys. I love Pleasantville. But then he gets to this next rung, and I don't like him there. Yeah. Um, and I don't really want to watch him there. We did Cider House Rules, which is also ninety nine, and seeing like these two, I'm, these two films are perfect personifications of things I never want to see Tobey Maguire in. Uh, he's just not reading my guy. mind. <laughs> like I I I I cuz I you know the thing is I too as you know Phil love the ice storm and love wonder boys uh don't love pleasantville quite as much as you do um but it has not his fault yeah. uh yeah as soon as someone decided you are not only a leading man but like yeah. a tough guy murdering leading man <laughs> I had to leave so fast. I that was it. Was, I I nothing gets me less excited than seeing Toby Maguire's name number one on a on a on a yeah. credit scroll. Yeah. He's not even it's, the top build in this movie. I know Skeet is. Skeet Ulrich is top build. I know. Which which was the only which was the only thing that made me kind of excited. <laughs> Skeet Ulrich dies, dies like an hour and a half into this. Like, like, well, not even. Out here, but. It's it's earlier than that. It's like I think it's like an hour. Maybe maybe it's about an hour and a half. But and I like but, and I like yeah. Skeet. You know. I mean, like, but again, like this is this is 
this is like oh, some Toby. of the worst Young Guns casting odyssey I've ever seen. The, the guy I really do like, and you know, God rest his soul, is Jonathan Brandis. Like, he, uh, yeah, he's good. He had, he the like, second I realized that was him, it broke my heart. Yeah, yeah. he was I, I, good. Like, he could have kind of done that thing that very few child actors do. Clearly, I'm saying Toby was incapable of, which was, you know, kind of mature into adulthood. Yep. Mm-hmm. He was kind of there in this with this performance. So I agree. I just think that that I mean, listen, Toby Maguire is in the Ice Storm, which is a film that Angley does a few years previous. So they obviously have that relationship. Um but but part of the problem is that I don't particularly buy Toby Maguire in period pieces. He feels like a pretty modern person to me for good or for bad. And I just don't buy him as a bushwhacker in the, in, you know, this during the civil war. So immediately I'm just like, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm, you're already pushing me. And then on top of it, on top of that, you have this film and there's a bunch of critics that, that, that talked about the comparisons to like Terrence Malick, which I think is an interesting comparison because I do think this film struggles with wanting to have this very sort of esoteric, almost poetic kind of component of the way that people speak, the way that sort of it's shot, the way it's paced is very deliberate. But at the same time, you can tell that whether or not this is a studio involvement or if this is whatever, it's also trying to be plot driven and it's trying to be a war epic. Like it's trying to do too many things. I don't see any, I don't see any comparisons to Terrence Malick here. I don't either. I think they're being kind. I don't get it either. The the one that I got, and I see why it wasn't, you know, at at the time in the critical response, you know, this is a movie that has since 1999 received like more of an outspoken uh, like appreciation. And that's Heaven's Gate. I thought of Heaven's Gate the whole fucking time because like that, first of all, like, uh, I mean, Heaven's Gate's another like hour and a half longer than this one is, but this one (laughs) feels like it's an hour and a half longer than this was a slow fucking movie. Oh man. I, uh, I apologize to you both for picking this. Um, (laughs) No, uh, we're going to do it eventually. Do it eventually. But I mean, like I thought of that because like, obviously like this is a huge bomb, but it's like, you know, it didn't destroy a studio the way that Heaven's Gate did. But like, just like the attention to detail, like being, you know, what's driving it rather than anything narratively, which I don't think is true of Heaven's Gate. I do really like Heaven's Gate, but in terms of like the reception, like it would have at least made sense if people made that comparison. But even like the Terrence Malick of this time, like, I don't see how you watch this movie and you think, yeah, Badlands or yeah, Days no, of I, I agree. It doesn't well, make any sense. Sin Red Line had come out the year before. And I That's think that might have been what's Maybe. on people's minds a little yeah. bit, but it's 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 not as good as Sin Red Line. Well, it's just I, this productive thing of like, oh yes. look, a widescreen <laughs> image where there's a field. <laughs> I also Malik. I also think that and I might be I might be wading into some you know choppy waters, but let's go ahead and do it. Okay. Um, the Civil War is the Civil War is is not uh, uh, a a black and white, not a, a a gray war the way a lot of our wars have been, right? The it's it's not a it's not a carnage for carnage sake. It's not you know rich people sending poor people to die. It's not like like there are good guys and bad guys in the Civil War. And it's very hard yep. to even 
start uh-huh. to to sympathize with a bad guy. Not only that, yeah. a guy who abandoned his own parents to go be a bad guy. So I I I think like that, and and, and but I, I don't think there's any virtually any uh rumination on what that means mm-hmm. on on like the the fact that there is a a moral good and a moral bad in this war you know as far as you can can have in wars that um it doesn't come close to like a malik movie there is no there's no examination or meditation on uh, uh, on what this particular war means so it was <laughs> Well, it's frustrating. Not until the respect. not until the end, anyway. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I agree with you, Kenny, and a little it bit. It takes a, a little long time to really make bit. a point. It's uh, really Jeffrey, hard. Jeffrey Wright to make. makes one totally interesting point at the end, mm-hmm. um, but that that re- the whole thing felt like we're keeping this black actor around so he can make one point at the end. But. I don't disagree at all. I, I was right. I was watching it. Um, yesterday and my roommate came in and asked what I was watching and I told her and I and, and I was like, you know, this movie's so hard to engage with, not just on its plotting, not just in its pacing, but also from the jump, it's asking you to empathize with people on the wrong side of history. And they don't know it. We know it. We're so ahead of these characters as to how this is going to play out and, and not in a way that is that is endearing or or compelling. Yeah, even and, too, like even- it's it's on like the fringes of right. uh, you know the civil war. It's not yeah, like yeah. the actual yeah. war fields. So yeah. it's like it feels like it's getting a little bit lost in the weeds of like these niche issues that were going yeah. on in the civil war. And it's like you have the Tobey Maguire character who I think where the movie tries to like find some gray, it ultimately is not conclusive in a way that you don't expect or is all that interesting because like his character he has his dutch father and early on in the movie his dutch father says to him we are dutch we think like dutch we identify as dutch basically Mm -hmm. while this is going on and it's like you could try to examine the movie in a way that it's like you're when you're talking about this war, you're talking about uh, people caught between certain type of generations and they have to choose a side and they might choose a wrong side. And I don't think the movie really has that conversation in a really interesting way. I don't know. And, and um, what I was going to say is from, from the jump, as you said, Phil, the first thing you see is the title card yep. and the title card explains who the bushwhackers are, which are essentially the, uh, the Southerners who are fighting in, you know, Missouri and Kansas and, outside of you know your your main battlefield arenas of this mm-hmm. war and uh, who the jayhawkers are the jayhawkers are the people from the north um really from kansas but whatever um and the way they describe the union fighters and the union sympathizers is uh as occupiers i don't know if you noticed that they said they were occupying the south mm-hmm. well that throws my antenna up a lot because that this is supposed to be a, a, you know that kind of title scroll you expect is objective, right? You expect is omniscient, word of God, whatever. Uh, and a a subjective word like that, a biased word like that, really got it through me from the jump. And I don't feel I don't feel like that tact was ever uh, examined, dealt with, undermined in any way. So you know that I I, I think that. 
It's interesting, Phil. We talk a lot about movies that wouldn't get made today for various reasons. This is one of them. Yep. Um, and I think this is a kind of movie that uh, this movie with this uh, tone and with this POV, I'm perfectly fine with this kind of movie not getting made. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I think that this, one of the things too, that kind of, I, as I was watching this, I was thinking about, you know, when Ang Lee signed on to do Sense and Sensibility, it was a pretty big deal. It was a big deal because, you know, he was obviously a foreign filmmaker, but it was also a foreign filmmaker directing a Jane Austen adaptation, which felt very dissonant, right? That felt like, why, why is this happening? Um, and I think that his perspective, his, the way he makes films, the way that he directed that film, gives that film such an interesting and beautiful vibe and feel, unlike any other Jane Austen adaptation up until that point. The same can be said for The Ice Storm. So I, I, it's interesting that you could see Ang Lee being like, I want to explore different parts of history through my it's, it's lens. It's what I love about him. It's what I love about him, right? But it's, but it's also a match thing too, right? So like sometimes it doesn't, line up and it doesn't line up with this subject matter right well i mean like he's always taking some type of big risk with every single movie and Mm -hmm. sometimes he takes a narrative risk and that's what i think he's doing here on top of the you know excessive detail that doesn't ultimately really serve anything in this movie within in terms of its production value but like that's why i kind of feel like it's mostly aligned with um taking woodstock because it's like what if you take these two uh events whether it's a war or you know woodstock things that are like whether it's popular culture or within uh history you know things that have been dramatized a lot or things that have been scrutinized a lot and trying to find a certain angle that you hadn't really thought of and like or like the angle of someone who experienced the thing but wasn't really a witness to it. And it's like, taking Woodstock, the guy sees, like, what, one band or something at Woodstock and, like, otherwise is, like, not participating in the event and is more so experiencing the people who are experiencing the event. Mm -hmm. And this is, like, people who, finger quotes, experienced the Civil War but were not engaged in the actual warfare and were part of this fringe uh situation that was happening at the same time and it that's it's interesting because it's a perspective that like and an attempt that i do respect of like the idea of let's take something familiar and try to find a different angle to examine it like that i i respect but like there's a few times that it doesn't work. Um, and it's always like this noble attempt on Ang Lee's part, which is why one of the reasons why he's so interesting, because like even his failures are fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. It's an interesting thing. I mean, some of my favorite movies are uh, movies about people who don't necessarily realize that they're on the wrong side of history while it's happening. Uh, they usually realize by the end. Um, and that's the catharsis of it. Or, you know, in some cases, I, I do, I, I do feel like the, and maybe this might be why the illusions of Malik were made because nothing is kind of, uh, answered at the end of this movie. But, um, the, the thing I, I, I felt wanting, because again, I don't think this movie was particularly artful. I think it was a more of a, uh, you know, straight down the line, building buildings roman more or less 
So uh, what I wanted was Toby to either recognize that he was on the wrong side or recognize that what they're doing is so futile. Um, and I don't think I got either one of those. Uh, and I think that's kind of what, what left me real cold at the end of this movie. Just settles down, has a wife. It all kind child. of worked out for him. That, and then it's just, you know, that was... Got a haircut. Uh, yeah. You got your you got your requisite Toby Maguire, you know, stumbles into having sex for the first time scene. I think I've seen I that like that six movies. So much. Well, you I mean you've seen it so many times. I mean, it's like Toby, I mean, it's, it's the like, worst in uh, Cider House Rules, but it's the worst. one of the worst. Cider House Rules is the worst movie ever made. <laughs> um, but <laughs> so this is better than that. <laughs> I can name some yeah. Lassa Hallstrom movies that are worse. <laughs> you want to see some even, bad Lassa not even Hallstrom his, movies? Not even his worst movie. <laughs> not even his no, just shipping, oh, news no, is, no, no. shipping News is definitely worse than, uh, than Cider House Rolls. Cool. Shipping Cider News House will uh, break your concept of reality. <laughs> <laughs> shipping News is one of those movies that um, I... So I did an episode on uh, Premiere Magazine where we did like a deep dive into each, uh, each yeah. issue of, of Premier Magazine, um, which will be coming out at some point. But uh, one of them wait. talked about the casting of, Star- of of Shipping News. Like it almost was John Travolta. Oh. It was almost Billy Bob yeah. Thornton. Like mm. Shipping News is is a crazy, crazy development hellish movie that turns into a truly hellish movie. <laughs> it's, it's really something special. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but that being said, uh, I want to give a quick synopsis of Ride with the Devil for our listeners. Uh, on the fringes of the Civil War, Missouri bushwhackers engage in a guerrilla warfare with Union Jayhawkers. Bushwhackers Jake Rodell, played by Tobey Maguire, and Jack Bull Chillis, played by Skeet Ulrich, out to avenge the murder of Jack's father, are joined by George Clyde, played by Simon Baker, and his former slave Daniel, played by Jeffrey Wright. Hiding out for the winter, Jack has a short romance with a war widow, played by Jewel, before dying. Uh, and Jake steps in to take care of her and her newborn before joining Quatrills or Quantrills, my apologies, famous Kansas raid. Ride with the Devil opened on November 24th, 1999 against Toy Story 2, End of Days, The World is Not Enough, and Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> just, just got That's decimated. Box That's a huge stuff. weekend. I mean, I don't know what they thought this movie was going to do on that weekend. But as we mentioned, it made, it made $635,000 on a $38 million Budget barely six, released, ba- ba- barely released. Uh, barely it has sixty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, sixty six from audiences. I'm going to read a very quick uh, chunk of Roger Ebert's two star review, where he says this film has been made by Ang Lee, the gifted Taiwan born, Illinois educated director. It's an odd way of putting it. I think uh, he who went was to able to NYU, right? I think so. So I don't know why he would say Illinois educated, but anyway, uh, who is able to see the Civil War from the outside. The technical and acting credits are first rate. The actors do a good job of being contained by their characters, not letting modern insights peek through. Jeffrey Wright, who starred in Basquiat, is especially intriguing as the freed slave who keeps his own counsel throughout the movie without sending out signals about what he's doing. Jewel deserves praise for quite simply performing her character in a convincing and unmannered way. What a what a wonderful... Uh, she's an actress here, not a pop star, trying out a new hobby. Ehrlich is good too, although Toby Maguire's tone tight inward controlled is beginning to wear on me after this and the cider house rules it's time for him to make a dumb teenage comedy wow uh watch well i guess he did sort of yeah kind of the dumbest spider-man yeah i was gonna say spider-man counts (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, watching the film, I could see that Ang Lee and his frequent collaborator, screener James Seamus, were in search of something serious. Ride with the Devil does not have the conventional rewards or payoffs. Does not simply does not simplify a complex situation. Doesn't punch up the action or the romance simply to entertain. But it is sad to say, not a very entertaining movie. It's a long slog unless you're fascinated by the undercurrents. It's a film that would inspire useful discussion in history class, but for ordinary moviegoers, it is slow and forbidding. Uh, yeah, I agree pretty much with all of that. I would have been a little bit more effusive about some of those things but yeah. looked uh i looked real fast so he went to uh illinois undergrad at myu okay. film school um and that makes sense why roger would highlight the illinois part you know given chicago sometimes chicago yes um but uh where he was spike lee's classmate and they made film that's school. cool yeah. that's cool i so i i want to just i mentioned this earlier but it's worth uh bringing up again just for what it's worth because i do think that cold mountain is First of all, I really like Cold Mountain for what it's worth, but I also think that that film is successful at doing a lot of the things that I think this film kind of sort of dips its toes into but doesn't really commit to, and yet is also a big sweeping romantic epic movie that's entertaining and engaging and and does the things that, you know, movies are supposed to do. <laughs> um, so I watching this, I couldn't help but think about Cold Mountain and why that film is so much more successful. Um, but it's also worth kind of tipping your hat to Ang Lee and James Seamus for trying to take this book, which I guess is relatively unadaptable in some way or another. And try to make a movie out of it like i I, it's hard for me to hate on a noble failure i guess is really sort of what i'm getting at but um at the same time it's just very cold and reserved it's hard to like it it has so few moments of levity it feels incredibly academic uh which is a weird thing to call an ang lee movie because like he's such even you know making a fucking action movie he's a humanist director and it's like you really have no and it's not just that problem of like i don't want to care about these guys (laughs) Uh, it's not that's not the problem because like you do you are given like jeffrey wright's a character you can care about it that's it's it's just not really interested in them as people it's um that's like that's where the coldness comes from. Usually, when you're talking about this type of movie and you call it cold, it's like um, it's an emotional reserve. But this mm-hmm. feels more like an emotional access, which is like yeah. There's also just it's there's a lack of of detail in the characters as well. I feel like when we do generic. get backstory, it's in this sort of weirdly vague sort of way. Now, again, that might very well have been what it was like back then. At the same time, it doesn't make for an entertaining film, unfortunately. No, I Um, couldn't tell you really one thing about Skeet Ulrich's character. And for half of this movie, this is a two-hander, right? So, I, yeah, they did feel very much stand-in. And I I think that often is a problem with... um, movies about kind of major historical events where characters aren't characters. Characters are often just stand-ins for, you know, ideas and moments in history or or positions in history. Um, And it doesn't seem like it's it's, it's, uh, that hard to do. It's a pretty big oversight to just kind of, you just have them be kind of ciphers, right? I, I, and, and, yeah. yeah. There is something though, I want, there's one moment there are, there are a couple moments, but I want to highlight one moment that I feel like 
is when the movie's successful at doing the stuff that we're complaining about, which is at the end of the film, the uh, the conflict between Jonathan Reese Myers and Tobey Maguire. Um, essentially, I mean, not to kind of yada yada over the plot, but I'll just say that they're sort of, they have this contentious relationship. It, it seems as though Jonathan Reese Myers is playing essentially a version of his character from Titus, uh, of just sort of this like insane oh, so kind of cool. <laughs> he, he's Jonathan Reese Myers is also pretty awesome. bad in this movie, too. Oh, but I, I kind I of entertaining. He's, he's great and like he's. He's so fucking pretty. Like yeah, he's a he's, very attractive he's man. So, he's so pretty. Like it's yeah. just like we we said this. I, I the more I see him, we is this our second movie with him or third with him this year? But I think it's the, the second. more I see him. No third. Was, uh, we did uh, be monkey. Be monkeys. The that. more I see him when he's when he's younger, a younger actor. Uh, the more I understand why people were so excited about him. Sure. Which I never really got the Jonathan Reese Myers excitement, but he really has uh, a few different a, a few different modes for sure. Um, and he's also beautiful, like he is, which which I think he displays than Jared Leto. Sure, sure. <laughs> I think there's so essentially that they have this contentious uh, relationship, and then at the end of the film, they're confronted with him again. Tobey Maguire has his gun basically drawn. And Jonathan Reese Myers silently does this sort of like head tilt look at him in this very almost like like a uh like a jungle cat or something. I can't really explain it. And then kind of just turns away and leaves and heads off to what is most likely his his death by going to this town that's surrounded by the union and is most likely going to die. Um, and to me, that exemplifies this movie, right? Which is, it doesn't really hand you anything. It doesn't give you catharsis. You're sort of like, this is compelling on a certain level. There's something here. Can't really pinpoint what it is. Um, and and the interesting parts happen off screen. <laughs> So you're just like, there's, you know what I mean? Like, it's all just sort of, there's, there is something here that didn't get unearthed, that didn't get, that just didn't get crystallized. Um, but I'm sort of kind of fascinated by the film nonetheless in a weird way. I don't, I don't, I mean, it's, and, and Jonathan Reese Myers is a, is a perfect example of that. I think Jeffrey Wright's another example of that, as we've mentioned. He's great in this movie. He's got lots of, He's a great actor. Silently, he He's conveys. never been bad. It's a, it would be bad. shocking if he yes, was, he was not good right. in anything. It is. It is fascinating. Uh, I, I one piece of uh, of trivia that I love is that Jewel is convinced that Ang Lee cast her because of her teeth, because the character in the book had fucked up teeth, and she's like, "I think he just cast me because my teeth are all fucked up," which I think is kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, which I think is funny. Um, but yeah, I, I I do just want for a quick second. We talked about Tobey Maguire kind of quickly, but I, I do think it's interesting to sort of talk about this moment in his career. He does Cyrus Rules in this film in 1990, Wonder Boys in 2000. And then in 2002, obviously he's, he's in the, he's in Spider-Man, Biscuit shortly thereafter. And, and then his career is kind of, I mean, I guess he can kind of do whatever he wants from that point on. He's fucking Peter Play Parker. Um, but it, it, it is interesting how, uh, how little I care about him in this movie, considering the movies that he had done previous to it that he is quite good in so i i don't know i don't know what to say to that it, it was kind of shocking to me because like i don't know if anybody has ever known how to appropriately cast 
Tobey Maguire like Ang Lee did in the ice storm. And then he goes and completely miscasts him again. (laughs) (laughs) Or not again, but like, because like the ice storm is the perfect character for Tobey Maguire. Like it's true. Earnest, uncomfortable, awkward, uh, you know, doesn't have to talk that much. (laughs) Um, Yes. Yes. And like, the bug-eyed thing about mm-hmm. Toby McGuire, one of our finest bug-eyed actors, Toby McGuire. His yeah. eyes are going to pop. He, I was <laughs> concerned about him like you're concerned about a pug. Like when a pug yeah. runs into yes. a wall, and its eye will pop lot. out. Yes. His eye was like millimeters yeah. from popping out of his skull several times in this movie. I would also so, say another reason that he's great in the ice storm is we get the voiceover which I think goes a long way towards getting inside the head of that character. And I think that Toby doesn't exactly exude complexity. Like, I don't mm-hmm. feel like there's... So the idea that you can get inside his head literally, I think is helpful. But what were you going to say? Uh, I have, I have a, a theory of Toby Maguire. Okay. Um, I'll throw it out for you guys. Toby Maguire is supposed to play characters that he played in the three movies you liked, Phil, and that I like. Uh, he's supposed to be in the ice storm. He's supposed to be in Pleasantville. He's supposed to be in Wonder, Wonder Boys. Boys. He's supposed to be playing betas. He's supposed to be playing introspective guys. He's supposed to be playing guys who can't really get a break. It's just obvious. Mm-hmm. Look at the guy. Um, he uh, somewhere yeah. in his... But, but there, 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 are two, there are two data points that I want to point out. Uh, Tubb McGuire is a member of the, uh, the, the unfortunately named Pussy Bossy. That's one. Yes. One of the founding members, I believe. That's, that's right. Toby Maguire, Toby Maguire also is the villain of uh, Molly's game. Molly's game, and <laughs> uncredited, the uncredited villain, the uncredited Correct. villain. Toby Maguire is uh, is in real life, as far as I can tell, based on these two data points. Um, someone who considers himself to be the smartest person in the room, a bit of a tough guy, a bit of a ladies' man. Uh, he's also very wealthy. Um, he probably doesn't like the idea of playing a beta male. And that's how we get movies like one of my least favorite movies of all time, Brothers, where he plays the big, <laughs> tough football player to Jake Gyllenhaal's wimp. So, Mommy and I, Uncle Tommy have sex all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where you wind up in a, in a society where people... Are, are are so bought into this idea of a star who gets to dictate who he is, which is lunacy, that we get a movie like Brothers, and then America got really sick of it very fast, and he basically well, has I also movie think, in, t- in fifteen years. I also think the only person he clearly has decided he will play a beta to is Leonardo DiCaprio in The Great Gatsby, like he'll which only- is like his last movie, dude. And he's but on top terribly of terribly cast as it's as Nick Carraway. Like that's one thing. Like <laughs> it's like it's one thing playing a you know a fake television character sure. in 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 Pleasantville. You, you anyone would take <laughs> Nick Carraway. That's a little different. But yes, you're you right. You understand my point. Terribly cast because yeah. you're so because he's yeah. he's supposed to be a like that's yeah. the funniest. The other funny thing about Toby is anybody who's that good at poker <laughs> uh, is pretty smart. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he never exudes intelligence on screen. Never, never. Yeah. His characters never seem particularly smart. They don't seem dumb, but they don't seem smart. Well, I mean, like I feel like the defining Tobey Maguire characteristic 
it's like he kind of his uh, his screen roles have a fraught relationship with it anyway because like the defining toby Maguire characteristic to me is earnestness and some directors know yeah. how to harness it in a good way and some don't know how to harness it like mm-hmm. sam raimi harnessed it perfectly mm-hmm. uh <laughs> Gary Ross, I'm the first person in maybe two decades to compliment Gary Ross, but like <laughs> Gary Ross does it perfectly in in Pleasantville and, and Seabiscuit. Yeah, when I, well, I mean like I Seab- think so, I don't think he's yeah. bad at Seabiscuit. Um, I mean I don't love Seabiscuit, but sure, right? That's I I uh, yeah, that's not that's not where the story is in Seabiscuit for me. Like I I I think it's okay, sure. but that yeah, it's 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 more on the Jeff Bridges side. But. Sure. Um, I thought you were going to say Seabiscuit himself. And the horse, of course. I love the horse. <laughs> the horse I mean, the titular role, obviously. <laughs> Stories in those biscuits. Um, <laughs> but like Cider House rules. Yeah. It's like over oh. earnest. And it's like it's not harnessed well. He's just <laughs> this weird scrawny dude. Who's just, just like yeah. spouting you know, greeting I- cards at you. I also don't like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, as people may know. And I, and, and I, 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 maybe I'm crazy and maybe I'm wrong, but I think once you watch Tom Holland play Spider-Man, you now know what a Spider-Man is supposed to be. And that Toby just does, he just, he, he, he did it all wrong. I like there wasn't a Spider-Man before that, you know, a big mainstream Spider-Man. And I appreciate that they, you know, didn't cast a muscle guy. They cast a guy who actually looks like he was in high school. And I appreciate, but, but I, oh, every time he, he did a little, a little Bon Mott, I wanted to like carve my face up, you know? I think that's probably more in the Raimi side of it than it is in Tobey Maguire, though, because like, I don't know how interested in like the humor of it, Raimi or like the like trademark Spider-Man humor. Raimi is all that interested in. He wants to tell this puberty story, you know, which is, I mean, which is cool. And like, I know, I, I know people think Spider-Man 2 is amazing. I'm not going to knock that, but I think just to Spider-Man, uh, you know, to, to just go down the spider web a little further. Um, I think. <laughs> Don't that, you mean the spider verse? We're following yeah, the spider verse. <laughs> yes, to go further into the spider verse. Uh, I did mean that. Yes, you're right. Uh, we'll pretend I meant that the whole time. Um, <laughs> what I love so much, I mean, I love Tom Holland's characterization and I love the way they're able to make that fucking um, movie funny without him being a dick all the yep. time. Cause I, he, cause Spider-Man has always been a bit of a dick and I don't like dicks as superheroes. I like Tom Holland. Who's so fucking funny, but so nice. I don't know so what Chris genuine. Pratt you're talking about. What? <laughs> what Chris? <laughs> I know. I, I know. I, my whole thing, <laughs> which Chris, Pratt I mean, I, I'm, you know, I agree with Kenny for the most part. I don't I don't hate the the Raimi movies. Uh I don't particularly like uh Toby in it, but he's fine. I, I also um, thought Andrew Garfield was a step up. So what do I know? No, and I don't disagree with you. I mean, ultimately, I think that, you know, Spider-Man is what Spider-Man is, and I think that Tom Holland's the best casting of it. I know that 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 purists or comic book fans 
have their issues with where Spider-Man has gone just in terms of the fact that, that there are a lot of people that just love their neighborhood Spider-Man who's just like yeah, it, guy it, against it, a it, villain. And it went and, and just, got really good and it's the best property uh, right. that they anyway, have I'm now, not gonna I'm not gonna fight be, this fight. Must, be a, must that, be a nightmare. The, the people who love the Raimi Spider-Mans don't love it for Tobey Maguire. It, that's Correct. safe to say. But yeah. I but I do think that it, that that it did tap into something and I do think that it did give Tobey Maguire some flexibility to do roles that he felt perhaps he was always supposed to do, yes. I guess. I don't know. Yes. Um and that's that's an unfortunate or yeah, it's not it's not the best. But but in terms of Ride with the Devil, I, there were a couple of things I wanted to highlight. Mark Ruffalo pops up for one scene which is odd considering like <laughs> Like out of nowhere, totally anachronistic. Like he, <laughs> like he has yeah. standard baby Mark Ruffalo haircut. He yeah. left from this and immediately starts shooting. You can count on me. Yeah, and not just like, like the right most anachronistic side. presence in the movie, and the movie includes Jewel. Like, <laughs> I mean, Mark Ruffalo is yeah. just such a modern actor. Yeah, like, crazy. It's crazy. It felt like it felt like a favor, like in a weird way. It, at this point in, in his career, obviously it's not, but it did feel like he's like, "Will you do a day on Ride with the Devil for me, Mark?" And he's like, "All right, sure." And he shows up and he does. <laughs> it's one setup. I don't even think they punch in for a close up. I think it's just one setup. And he's like, actually the movie he probably came off the set of and immediately showed up to this one was fifty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's fifty four. Um, <laughs> Do you, do you uh, think he knew? Do you think he got more than just his sides, and he knew that his character was a traitor who went and killed? Uh, went and killed the guy. Did he go and kill Toby's dad? Yeah, he went and I couldn't tell you that level of plot detail in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I watched yeah. it a few days ago, and it immediately vanished for like details like that. Yeah, he's like the German in Saving Private Ryan who killed uh, Jeremy. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? No, no, he didn't kill. He killed Adam. Go to Adam, uh, the Jewish Adam, guy, Adam Goldberg. Adam, Adam Goldberg. Adam Goldberg. Yes. Yeah. Jew. Jew, uh, Jew is what you said. The Jew. He killed the Jew. Well, I'm a Jew. I can say. Yeah, I know. Um, but he's like that, except uh, he was a good guy who was fighting to end slavery. So come on. I. I it was just. It was. <laughs> it, so when the credits came up at the beginning, there are names that jump out at you, right? Like people are like, I didn't know they were in this. I didn't know Tom Wilkinson and Margot Martindale, and yeah, and then Mark Ruffalo at least like seven to 10 names deep into it. I was like, okay. Uh, yeah, you're totally right. It's completely acronistic. You're like, why, why is he there? What's going on? Uh, and disappears. We never hear from him again. I, I, I also think that I, I want to highlight the action in this film because I do think that it is very specifically made, if that makes sense. I think mm-hmm. that it's, it's messy. It feels, I mean, I obviously wasn't there. I don't know what it was like during then, but it feels very realistic. It feels kind of uh, harrowing in, in, a, in a sort of um, random acts of violence sort of way where you're just, where it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's a very jarring action movie in that way, which I did think was a choice and I thought it was an interesting one. Um, but the, but, so like, for instance, there's that scene up top where uh, they shoot everyone at that store for serving Yankees. It's a very upsetting scene where they, they mm-hmm. basically go in Toby and, and Skeet go in dressed as union people and then murder everybody for, for serving them essentially. Um, it's, 
there's a lot of that in this movie. There's a couple of sequences that feel like that. There's a big one deeper in the film where they essentially just burn a town to the ground and kill everybody in this town. And it's, it's which which was terrible, but also incredibly done. Like so, like yeah. all the, like the action Very sequences funny. were amazing. I agree. I agree. Yeah. That's that's when you know there's there's probably I think three or four of them in the film, and it's when I it's you you inevitably sit up and notice right like you sit up at that point and your the movie has your attention at that point right. and right. i think it knows that it does but then it just so it just goes so up and down where you're just like there's swaths of this film where you're just like what's happening who what are we doing what's happening i mean but then you do have good i mean the 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 whole um amputation stuff is is brutal but, but again brutal. <laughs> that but they cut to that that like macerated leg oh, oh. like four oh, times yeah. Yeah. before mm. they even cut it off yeah it's it is it is gnarly um it, it's yeah basically uh, uh skeet ulrich uh jack bull chillis gets shot in his arm and it just just eviscerates basically his arm and they it seems oh, as though his arm not his leg that's right no they they refuse to i think it's it, toby it that was, refused to cut it off right is it was yeah it, it, it was his arm because i remember yeah, jeffrey so wright said it was getting black up to his armpit of his body i but, have a yeah. visceral <laughs> image of that bone sticking out though yes yeah. you remember that yeah, yeah. but but you know I, I so there's an interesting again like there's this 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 conflict that exists where they have him pinned down. They don't know what to do. They know they can't get a doctor. Toby doesn't want to cut off the arm, but they know it's going to become gangrenous quite quickly if they don't treat it in some way. They try to sort of cauterize the wound with a hot knife. That doesn't work. It becomes gangrenous. They try to chop off his arm. He dies shortly thereafter. Uh, you just yeah. explain that like like a guy who's sold a few medical pilots. <laughs> what can i say uh but it's it, pretty impressive uh but it's it is just it's it's very effective at least i mean viscerally i think we all feel this way as just being humans where like medicine and mortality conflicting with these people's emotions and their inability to be able to separate how they feel about a person from what they're dealing with medically is stuff that I find really compelling. And I thought that they did a good job, but unfortunately that's only five minutes of a two and a almost half hour movie. But, you know, I I, I could have done, I mean, for real, I could have done with more uh, gruesome shit. I agree. Um, I think that old, I think that old wars, particularly this war where Mm -hmm. you had, uh, you had guns and bullets and bayonets and knives and all these horrible things and you, we did not have modern medicine. So you were doing crazy shit like cutting people's arms off when uh, they have some issues. Um, I think it's it, been I think evil. That, it's, it's great. It, it's, it's modern Ordering weapons. Yeah. It's modern weapons with medieval solutions. And yep. that's, that's some, that's a pretty interesting moment in history. Like I, I was always kind of, I was always kind of taken with that in the beginning of Dancers with Wolves, where the plan was to cut off, I think his leg. Mm-hmm. Yes, like. Yeah, legs. His leg. I believe it's both. Yeah. Yeah, and they were just going to get him drunk and cut off his legs, yeah. um, and that really was kind of a like like a wake up call moment for me. To the uh, this is what they used to do, and that was right after <laughs> yeah. the Civil War, right? Well, or it's during? it's you're you're tapping into something that I find really interesting as well. Is sort of like uh, 
I don't know if you guys watched The Nick. Uh, it's not a it's not a show that I could watch all of because it was it was too hard for me to watch. But but again, there's just this sort of antiquated medicine, uh, antiquated ways of keeping people alive. Uh, to to your point, Kenny, I do find fascinating, and and there is something very sort of. Um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but sort of intrinsic and and scary about that stuff that I think they could have done more with here. But but I'll say that the so the sequence these bushwalkers overrunning this this uh, Union troops on the edge of this town and then taking over this town is probably the sort of uh, the biggest action sequence of the film. Probably I would say, mm-hmm. um, and and outside of the score, which I think kind of betrays the film from time to time. Because I did feel like the movie tries not to do these big high shots of lots of people riding into into town. It tries to be intimate. So when there are those wide shots, the score just goes so fucking big and tries to be like, yes, you're in an epic for like a second. It's I think it doesn't do the film any favors. Um, but this is one of those sequences where that happens, where they're kind of charging into this town um, and they just massacre everybody, children. It's just it's it's an awful they burn sequence. like the church and the school yeah. down to the ground. Yeah. It's just terrible. Um, Toby demands breakfast from some poor woman who's like you know working at some restaurant with her husband and kid. Um, it, it's it is definitely the moment when um, he felt irredeemable to me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Um, and I would yeah, argue then, but, I'm not sure but, that he ever becomes redeemable. But then he white knights right away. Like that's I know. It, like I know. It's, it, the whole like there, you almost get whiplash from from how you're supposed to feel. Maybe look, maybe you're supposed to feel people are layered and you know not <laughs> not everything is black and white. But uh, right, right, I don't right. know. I, I I don't feel like that was the the. I don't feel like that was the story I was being told. I mean, um, this is a movie that does exist in multiple versions, and that type of storytelling truncation really made me wonder, okay, how long was, like, the work print version of this movie? Like, is, is there giant chunks of, like, character development mm-hmm. or, like, uh, things happening that, you know, we will just never see that because the movie became too unwieldy? Uh, yeah, like I, that I mean, just, I know the, that seems like the type of thing that could be missing. It's possible. The Criterion version of this film, I believe, is 148 minutes. Uh, I don't, I don't own the Criterion version. I thought about buying it, and then was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch the iTunes version. Um, so I don't know if 
I don't know how much different it is, but, you know, maybe it's a better film. That's the version I watched. I oh, did you not did? Buy okay. it. Support your local libraries, everyone. <laughs> you, guys, um, you guys didn't watch the Tubi version? I nope. was going to say the theatrical version is on Tubi. I went to our listeners. I you can watch it, it on Tubi. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I rented it on iTunes uh, and watched the version that I think clocked it around two hours and 18 minutes. That's so, the theatrical um, cut. Yeah. That's the theatrical cut. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, listen, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Maybe you're absolutely right, Chris. Uh, what do you, how did you you so you watch the Criterion version right? Which yeah. is so. I how did mean, it feel? I can't imagine what ten minutes were taken out of the movie. <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, so it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to pinpoint. You didn't feel as though there was. So I guess my bigger question is: Did you see this film back in the day? No, because okay, so, like this movie wasn't like. The release was so small. I remember having this movie like being a 12 year old, newly ignited film obsessive. Sure. Uh, I remember this being on my radar because of the EW fall movie preview mm-hmm. and like the movie just never coming here. I, I live in Columbus, Ohio. I've been have since I was a kid. Um, uh, but like, I think, I think it maybe might have been at like Blockbuster, but it's not one of those movies that when it's at yeah. Blockbuster, you know, it covered a whole wall. You know, those movies it, like, you know, yeah, Titanic like covered two, like two three copies. little yeah. sections of that mm-hmm. one. Yes. You know? um, so like this, was, this was my first time seeing it. I can't imagine I would have chosen it if I'd seen it already. Um, <laughs> this, I, was, this was a wall movie? You no, like the, you know, at Blockbuster, no, no, no. like yes, the little. I know uh, that's what I'm saying. You think, you think it, it even got on the wall, Kenny? Is that what you're saying? No, I think that you well, basically they probably had like one releases, copy on the wall. Yes. It didn't. Come oh, is that what you were saying? It, yeah. Yes. In 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 yes. In blockbusters growing up, you basically had two kinds of new releases. You had wall movies, or mm-hmm. you had they had one or two copies. I didn't. Right. I, th- I I thought you said this was a wall movie. I'm sorry. Oh no, this was definitely not a wall movie. Yes, wall okay. movies for 1999 would have like maybe like the cider house rules would have got half a wall. Yeah, American Beauty got best picture. Probably had the wall. Got the a Matrix wall. had like two chunks of wall. Half the store. Half the store. Half, Half the, the store was the Matrix. But yeah, yeah I, no, you're totally right. I mean, I wonder if Cider House Rules gets a wall. I feel like it does because uh, of all that late breaking Oscar momentum it had that you yeah, guys can't I talk it about because it was actually nominated. But it's it's you, it's crazy that Chris, it got I bet that the that. Green Mile had a larger chunk of wall. Big time. As a best picture, not oh. one of those best of these best picture nominees probably had the least amount of wall. Actually, probably the Sixth Sense had the most wall, without question. Without the Sixth Sense had the most had wall. The least amount of wall, is my guess. The Insider probably. The Insider had probably had maybe half of a wall, two rows of a wall. You know, the Insider, which is such a brilliant movie, is more of a mid two thousands movie. That would have really had that yeah. Michael Clayton energy behind it in the mid two thousands. But it did weirdly kind of get lost, even though it was nominated and everyone loved it. It was a great, you know, film and a great kind of moment. It kind of got lost in the cultural conversation. Money. Until I, I think we brought it back on this podcast, right, Phil? I think so. I think yes, so. We did. It yeah. was us. I mean, it feels like yes. that. Uh, Save so, Chris, I do. Career. Since we're talking Oscars '99, I am curious. Um, of the nominees, what do you think is the worst film? 
of the five nominees? <laughs> oh God. Um probably the Green Mile. I don't think it's a good best picture lineup. Neither it's I mean, not it's a great safely, it's not a good safely the insider would be my winner. Sure, sure. But sure. like that's probably the only one that would be I don't know what my like number one of the year would be, but like I mean, the insider is probably the only one that would be anywhere close of the to, of like, the five. Just just for our, our just to re- remind people, you got the Green Mile, Sixth Sense, Cider House Rules, American Beauty, The Insider. Um, it's a it's a weird five, uh, especially for a year that Kenny and I have obviously continued to unpack and show how many much better films there are that deserve <laughs> these <laughs> nominations. Um, but this is a roundabout way of asking you, Chris. What are your thoughts on American Beauty being the winner and being sort of the anointed, you know? I mean, the mountain, of 1999. We've kind of talked about this or maybe like danced around it or mentioned it once or twice on my podcast mm-hmm. where it's like American Beauty, aside from being like, you know, the emerging dream house like dream house get or not dream house dream works is the distributor that gets uh three best picture wins in a row um because they win american beauty gladiator a beautiful mind um american beauty kind of benefited from it was like the ultimate thing uh like the the peak of these 90s movies that are all about like unpacking like nuclear units family life um and like the there's a lot of movies throughout the 90s like uh Todd Salons's Happiness yeah. as an example of these movies that are probably way too caustic for uh the sure. academy or Angley's The Ice Storm which is probably you know a lot of people call that movie chilly i think that's crazy but it's probably too remote for oscar mm-hmm. in the way that like Todd Haynes's movies are too remote for oscar sure but like American Beauty kind of is the like culmination of like a decade's worth of a certain type of cinema that like finally this is the one that like hit in their taste but they were also like you know i think in a certain way uh acknowledging like the business of dreamworks you know um I mean, there are worse Best Picture uh, winners. There are definitely uh, more recent Best Picture winners that age even worse than that movie. Um, very few that age worse, in my opinion. But it is I mean, there are there are worse movies. But it's it's ironic in its own way because at the moment it did seem somewhat iconoclastic, and in retrospect, oh yeah, I mean it was it absolutely is. sold that way. Yeah, and you're totally right. It is sitting on the shoulders of probably 15 years of better, more interesting, way better movies taking, that are doing take, similar things. Yes, and taking more interesting, um, you know, taking more interesting avenues into this other than you know the poor white cuck. But um, basically, I didn't mean to say cuck, but uh, but <laughs> cuck hold. Uh, but um, but but yeah, it's it's it's. Amazing to me how a modern film, how, how poorly this um, contemporary film that seems so forward thinking has aged, not just in content, which is a complete mess at this point, but also in style. Like the style, it's, it's it, the, the, the synth 
the sin scores of the 80s, I think people thought would age very poorly when in fact they've aged incredibly well and they're like my favorite things in the world. But the doop, 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 that I think it was, uh, who, who did that? And, uh, look, it's, I Thomas love, it's Thomas Newman. It's Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman. And look, who, I like, love after the score for that movie. The score for everything, yeah. After the score of that movie, he's like, "Okay, so where are my American Beauty demos? Just throw that on that yes, fucking we'll thing." Yes, we'll do. Oh, like, and then everyone uh, else is forward. Like that. Absolutely, yes. is like the B sides of American Beauty. Yes, and look, I love fucking True Romance, and I love the score, but that's that's one moment, one one score in one moment, and uh, I think everything about this movie um, ages really poorly. I have a question, not to just take this topic in a slightly different direction let's do it we often talk phil about and and we're basically leading up like kind of the culmination of this podcast is going to be um us giving our nominees and winners for all of this stuff and i presume that that's going to be our favorite movies phil um i wonder you know how like there are a few years like uh the year with network and i guess it was 76 uh um there what was it was like all the presidents it was all the presidents by network and rocky were the three that year there were like four Um, out of five were like classics there are these years that are just or i think it was like 74 that had like godfather 2 the conversation dog there whatever you get what i'm saying what would have been the five like super respectable movies? Not like me and you sitting around being like, man, right. I really think that like um that like drop dead gorgeous would have been a great nominee this year. <laughs> like what are the ones that-, that people would have looked back and been like, yes, those are the five that like really feel like the five films that we should be acknowledging. I think that the you are right, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I hear you. I think that the I mean, the two that I feel are the most sort of everyone goes like they fucked up by missing these two feels to me like Talented Mr. Ripley and Magnolia are those are the two sort of big Oscar Beatty movies that in that year, the Academy just went, we're good. Like that just felt like we don't need this. I, I mean, think- Magnolia is still by by the terms of the Academy. Like the, that's the thing about American Beauty; it was sold to the Academy as "this is your transgressive movie," right, yes. and aren't you so progressive for voting for yes. this movie? But like Magnolia is still, you know, a movie that opens with this montage that has nothing to do, or like with the rest of the movie. It mm. ends in frogs raining from the sky. It's a little too weird, and like I think also like the Tom Cruise character and his monologues are way too um like caustic for the academy at the time like i think it's a i mean i I think that he should have won it feels like that was his shot i think that you know uh michael kane winning for for cider horse rules is laughable not great not great (laughs) i mean a a terrible new england not our best work Uh, as a a society (laughs) i mean a, a joke of a performance, but Talented Mr. Ripley feels like, and we've talked about this a little bit, we talked about it on the Cider Horse Rules podcast, but it does feel like Miramax was a co-pro on Talented Mr. Ripley with Paramount. They went all in on Cider Horse Rules since it was the one they owned in, in its entirety, uh, and that's the one that fucking Weinstein did his you know, I, bit I, I think Ripley is a lock on the list I'm talking about. 
I think eyes wide shut is a lock on the list I'm talking about. Yeah. I think I, I think you look back 20, 20, what is it, 23 years from now. Mm-hmm. And I do think if people saw eyes wide shut on that list, it would make sense. It would feel yep. right. You'd feel like yep. it was a the right film in that moment. Uh, mm-hmm. The other one I would say I, I do feel like was not too far outside of the Academy's purview that would have felt right is The Matrix. Uh, it did win Best Editing. Um, it is, you know, it does. It, it doesn't feel quite as insane as nominating like a Mad Max uh, Fury Road. I was going to say, if, um, if they, The Matrix had come out today, The Matrix would definitely be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, well, this but, is you know, what we've definitely done when we've talked 1999 movies. Sometimes we'll talk about uh, on my podcast, you know, if it was a year where there was a 10 Best Picture lineup, you know, okay. not only what would be the movie's in the year as it was, what would have made it through, but mm-hmm. like what also changes the uh, Academy's minds uh, on what they're willing to consider when yeah. they have more slots to consider, you know, mm-hmm. and the matrix is the first thing that, you know, comes to mind. The only it, other you know, one that yeah. comes to mind, Kenny, and it's a, I think it's a, it's a little crazy, but I'm going to say it anyway. I do think that if election had been nominated for best picture, uh, obviously, it's an MTV films. It's got all sorts of stuff attached to it. It's got all that whatever. But I think that if Election comes out today, and I don't mean with Alexander Payne's, you know, having made all the films that he's made, but I just think that that's a film that feels like critics would rally around it. I think it could get, you know, with the right push. Um, that's a movie that I could see perhaps getting a Best Picture nomination. I it, it, the the. But it's not so much what the, would have been nominated today. It's what yeah. we would have looked back and felt yes, like yes, was like kind of rep- yeah. kind of yeah. representative of where, you know, of... of I mean, it was representative of, of where we were. Some kind time. of alchemy between where we were at the time and, and looking mm-hmm. back the way we feel about these things. Yeah. Uh, and the other one, um, well, I mean, I think election's a good one. I, I, I'm searching for something in the vein of like a studio... Uh, movie that is not like big and loud like a Notting Hill which mm. uh doesn't feel mm-hmm. quite perfect to me like in that made style. a lot of money I do think it's money. the best yeah. romantic comedy of that year and one of the best ever made um well, I but think I do, that, yeah like like I, the as good as it gets slot is kind of what I'm looking for no I totally hear you I you know what's interesting and I think it's the reason that we keep coming back to this discussion is that generally speaking, and I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but generally speaking, I do think that the nominees for Best Picture, and I mean all the nominees, not the winner of Best Picture, because I think we all know that that's generally not indicative of much, but the nominees tend to be a relatively good cross-section of where we are as an industry in that moment. And what's weird about this year in 99 is it's not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is that... That's the best point. Right, like it oh, just green, doesn't feel green, indicative. Green Mile and Cider House Rules, especially, should not have been anywhere near the five. Yeah, not even close. The, the, so it's it's one of those things where, and listen, we we, we oh, by the way, Six Sons being on the five, not a bad thing. But keep going. No, no, not at all. I, but it's just it's just a weird. I mean, listen, I think maybe it is indicative of the fact that ninety nine was such a weird year in the best possible way that there was just so much that kind of came at them in weird, different ways that they weren't sure how to process it all. You know, mm-hmm. we're missing the, we're missing the obvious one. And oh. which one is 
being John Malkovich, I think everyone would have felt pretty fucking yes, good. Yes, no, about for it. sure. Being John Malkovich because there was like, uh, I mean, like, director, if they yeah. really wanted to be subversive, not American Beauty subversive, they wouldn't be being John Malkovich. But mm-hmm. like being John Malkovich, absolutely would mm-hmm. be in like a ten lineup. Toy Story two sure. would definitely. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's you know what's interesting too. And we've talked about this a little bit, Kenny, but you know your your primo Oscar slot is generally your Christmas Day corridor, where you want to kind of be the last movie that's seen by Academy members um, and kind of plant your flag. And the Christmas Day movie of this of this Christmas year was Talented Mr. Ripley and it was Angel of Ashes. So it was like those two movies. <laughs> which I'm sure well, you guys have done on your podcast. Chris, have you done that? I haven't because it's an Oscar nominee. Um, uh, what did it get nominated for? Uh, John Williams score? Of I course, of course. Of course. Um, why, why did I even ask? So this, this is it, another thing yeah. about 1999. Why something from the summer like Sixth Sense, which is a huge hit and like, you know, probably got uh, a deserving reassessment uh, for these type of terms is like a lot of the prestige movies that were actually happening at the time were either not quite to their taste, like Ripley, which like Ripley is also probably closer to a Todd Haynes movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, or things that are like too much for them. Like uh, mm-hmm. being John Matt's got shot. its yeah. nominations, but like, you know, it might have been sixth place for Best Picture. Who knows? But you know, a lot of the prestige things are just like uh, too extreme, like uh, Fight Club or uh, Magnolia. So they yeah. go like it, it's so easy for Cider House Rules to be essentially the biggest competition to American Beauty because it is the sentimental movie. You know, it's the movie that yeah. makes people cry. John Irving, yeah. There's also, you know, Magnolia is, is I mean, and, and Paul Thomas Anderson is quite open about this, is, is such a love letter to Robert Altman in so many ways. And Robert Altman was never loved by the Academy. I mean, he never, he never, I don't think he ever won, if I'm not mistaken. He I don't not. think he ever won. Um, he won nominated an a bunch, award. but never won. Got an honorary award. Um, you know, so there's something there too, right? Which is he made this film, this sort of big sweeping, you know, uh, pretty critical to some degree or another of of California and and of of people in the valley. And so, to your point, I think there's something to be said for the fact that that um, and it's you know it's a three hour plus movie. I get all the reasons why Magnolia didn't hit in its moment. Um, it doesn't make it they, any less painful. They they, they made <laughs> it, it was up expensive a few years too, later and it didn't it make money. Yeah. They made it up a few years later when they gave it to Crash. So you got your <laughs> yeah, own. So it's all, it all worked out in the end. You're good. Um, I, I, I want to just uh, to, to what wrap did Crash up beat? I can't remember. Brokeback Mountain. What? That's right. Let's get back into Ang. We're going to get back into Ang real quick just to wrap up Ride with the Devil. Um, the movie essentially ends with, with Tobey Maguire uh, marrying Jewel um, because. It's, it looks like it was his baby because he dropped her off earlier in the film. So people assume that it's his kid. So he, but even though it was Skeet Ehrlich's kid, anyway, there's, there is a moment and I'm sorry. I know this is so like in the, in the fucking tall grass, but I got to highlight it because it just, it was so bizarre to me. And I'm sure you guys probably didn't even notice it, but there's a moment in the film where Jewel and, and Jeffrey Wright leave Tobey Maguire with the baby to go out and do chores. And then they come back later in the day. Um, but <laughs> the way it's edited 
it's like there was no passage of time and yet she, the way she comes into the room and he says you've been gone all day but like none of the sunlight has changed and it, <laughs> it, it was just such a fucking bizarre moment that I was just like I found it just jarring that being said the wedding's cute Aang loves a wedding um, so there's <laughs> like the wedding is just is perhaps the most charming part of this entire film if I was to to like hone in on something that felt sweet and charming and endearing um that unfortunately you know toby mcguire needs to lose his virginity for the umpteenth time on film um <laughs> and and then they essentially you know they 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 have their we talked a little bit about the the jonathan reese myers thing and then they ride off to california and that's the end of the film um on this podcast chris we do uh ratings so from zero to 99 zero being the lowest 50 being the marker of whether you'd recommend it or not, 99 being the highest. We rate it before the podcast and after the podcast as though if the podcast had changed your opinion in one way or another. Um, So I'll go first. Um, Coming into this podcast, I gave this film a 67. Um, I felt like it's not a great film. I don't think it's a film that I would run around screaming and saying people should watch, but it's still an Aang Lee movie, which means it's still better than 90% of the things that get made. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, would my number go down a little bit after this podcast? Probably. I think I'm probably in the lower 60s, maybe high 50s. But like, I don't think this film's an abomination by any means. I just think it's, kind of boring it's not the most engaging film in the world but i think that there's still stuff worthwhile about it but that's just me what do you think kenny i think it's interesting phil because i think we i think i just got to the bottom of of me and you i think you're you're really really a glass half full guy and i'm a glass half empty guy because i think we feel the exact (laughs) same way about this movie and i gave it a 41 um (laughs) Which is like I I was I was up a little higher for I think for all the reasons you were uh, mm-hmm. right before the end end which was like I, I you know how cold <laughs> I was left but I was I was still below fifty sure. but I was like going to give it like a forty seven forty eight because technically it's obviously you know perfect mm-hmm. uh, it, it looks great and and as he said it's an Ang Lee movie so um, respect but uh, what I wrote was I think this was a misfire in nearly every way. The misfire from the opening title card, Occupy Northerners, not earning a lot of empathy from me. From the framing, uh, from the framing of the way the story uses it, uh, use the framing to the way the story uses Jeffrey Wright, to the lack of propulsion, lack of character drive, lack of anything animating, some great sequences, some great action, looked the part, but ultimately a failure at an attempt to tell a big civil war epic from the South Side, way too sympathetic. This is not a topic I want non-judgment on. So that's where I landed. Fair, all, all fair, 40, fair criticism. 41, I'm going to stay at a 40. Right. Where are you, Chris? I agree with everything that you both have just said. Going into the movie, I was probably like, it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. It's got to be interesting. It's Ang Lee. When it, even like his worst movies, it's, uh, you know, uh, whatever. And like, yes, it is not all that bad but it is never interesting and like i hate that like (laughs) this is not the last ang lee movie that i've ever seen like i feel like because i haven't seen the wedding banquet so it's like i have to go and see that immediately to like and it's uh he does love a wedding famously he even made a movie uh, about one that had a banquet um (laughs) (laughs) like i wish like if anybody else is going to be an angly completist watch this one last 
I mean, yeah. like not not last last because he's still gonna be making still making movies. movies. Yeah, still making movies. But like as of now, this is the one you can watch last. So like going into it, I probably would have said like a sixty-five, and now I'd probably be like a forty. Well, that that feels that feels fair. You know, it's interesting though, uh, Chris. You bring up you know if people are gonna watch Ang Lee's movies, um, it's so bizarre that this is in the Criterion Collection. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like when you look at his body of work and you're just like, I guess it was the one they could get. Is that, is that ultimately why they do it? Or, well, I mean like some of it, like it used to be a certain type of like level of preservation and, you know, availability things that, you know, uh, what the rights to things being a concern. Mm -hmm. So like, I would imagine this is probably the easiest angle for them to have gotten the rights to, but like, I do also think it is a certain level of reverence for the craft and the attention to like realistic detail that like angle is attempting. I certainly don't think that it's uh, all that much narratively that it like necessarily belongs there, but like uh, it is the, you know, it's, it's interesting. The, it's interesting yeah. that, that it's that it's a criteria. So we're going to do our top five. We'll start at the bottom and kind of go our way around. Uh, I'll start. My number five is Hulk. Um, I, I think that Hulk is kind of a masterpiece. I think it's an insane movie. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if either of you have seen it. Um, I don't think Kenny has. Have you seen it, Chris? Yes, uh, I, not I for a very long time. I bet like, like I could seen be every higher on it movie. if I see it soon. Yes. Well, other than Wedding Banquet, he's seen yes. every every English film. I I think that this film, I remember seeing Hulk in the theater. Um, I remember being nonplussed with it and thinking, what is this? Because it came out sh- so shortly after uh, Spider-Man, uh, which felt like this is what comic book movies are now. And then this movie came out and I just didn't really get it. Subsequently, I just, I love how Ang Lee just, really tried to actually visualize a comic book like to the point where there's moments Kenny and I don't know if you know this where the camera pulls out and you're literally seeing multiple frames of a comic book as he zooms in and out of the frame it's fucking it sounds fun sounds fun it's great I think you'd really like it uh and I just I respect that like that it is a very bizarre comic book movie at a time when you couldn't do that i think that if it came out today i think people would probably be a lot more accepting of it because we've sort of changed the way that we see comic book movies but uh that's my number five uh what's your five kenny uh you know as i said to you phil i'm not the best he's got a couple blank spots in his blind spots i have i do i have some blind spots like uh, all movies except six uh (laughs) the sixth being ride with the devil so I will, make your five. which is, which is six right now. Right. Right. So uh, I'll put my fifth up there. The fifth movie I've seen of Ang Lee's, uh, which is taking Woodstock, which <laughs> okay, I th- okay. which I think is a fine movie. Can't believe it was directed by Ang Lee. I think there's uh, some really interesting stuff going on there. Um, some progressive ideas for the time it was sure. uh, made. Sure. And the kind of stuff you don't often see uh, when it comes to a movie about Woodstock or that period of time, or even hippies. So the idea <laughs> that there were other other kinds of hippies. Um, but uh, I thought it's, I think it's a good movie. I just uh, I also kind of remember thinking, is this the end of Ang Lee's career? Like, is this the kind of stuff he's going to be making from now on? So uh, <laughs> not necessarily the end of his career, but more right. like 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 is he going to a be new like chapter? A, 
like yeah. like a is he gonna be like a like a boring guy now? <laughs> so <laughs> and he's not. He's he's uh, most he's not. clearly not, despite the fact that I haven't seen Billy Lib, I haven't seen Gem- Gemini Man, and I probably will never see Life of Pi. Gemini Man is not on my list, but you gotta see Gemini Man. Gemini, Gemini, Gemini Man, Man does not work. I but like oh. I, 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 I saw it in 3D in, in, in the in 48 frames, as did 3D, I, and it is an experience. It's an I, experience. Like I would definitely recommend it above Ride with the Devil, purely sure. because, like, sure, it is a low bar. Like the thing is about that movie, it is like they went back in time and found. <laughs> Yes. Into the '90s, and they pulled out the, like a spec script from yeah. the '90s that hadn't been. This is touched. why you love it, Kenny. And then they went and made it. Yeah, it's for like me. 2000 <laughs> and whatever. It's it, a Jerry it, Bruckheimer it, movie from like I, 1998. I know, and it's kind of fucked up. I didn't see it for our draft. I just assumed it would make it. But I, I with these, you know, these like uh, 2010 movies, movies from the 2010s. Uh, it, re- I really had to work. Because I had all yeah. these children, so I really only had to see. I really can only see shit that you know I had to see. Uh, that's one and uh, two. I did think about like just putting on Hulk yesterday just to have something maybe oh, potentially knock out. Yeah, taking Woodstock. Hulk, Hulk's kind of long I, though. Yeah, I. It's, I inst- you'd love Hulk. It's instead, long I watched. Uh, what did I watch instead? Um, well. Something else. Right. Obviously, uh, that Chris, what's your, what's your Gemini five? Man, though, like, it's entirely earnest in being the type of action movie that it is, whereas, like, if it was made today, it would feel like it's a riff or referencing, like, a certain era of action movie, and it's not. It is just that movie. And, I like, mean, there's layers to it, too, because, like, they de-age Will Smith, so he insane. looks like Will Smith from it's the insane. 90s. It's crazy. You gotta see that movie. It's a crazy movie, Kenny. Uh, what's your number five, Chris? Uh, my number five is actually the ice storm. Um, wow. Like I know that like it is like the number one for a lot of people. Um, for me, it would be number five. Uh, we did an episode of it on my podcast. Um, it's, I mean, like it's great for all the reasons that people say that it's great. I think like to call it back to ride with the devil, which obviously has a lot of period detail. I think, mm-hmm. In some ways, the ice storm is second to none in that way, in like focusing on this really specific time during Reaganism and these this like transitional moment in American culture between generations, like with you know just gender roles, sexual politics, uh, sure. drugs. Um, it, it's a great movie. Uh, yeah, I, we will talk about it later when Kenny and I. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I think <laughs> <I figured. laughs> um, number four for me was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, um, which I watched again when Blank Check did their Ang Lee miniseries, which was whenever it was because time's a flat circle now. But uh, it was um, I was just like it's jaw dropping. The, the, that movie is so beautiful to look at, um, and and what it did in terms of just opening up for some people's minds to, you know, a, a, a part of a, of a film that comes from a part of this planet that people don't unfortunately give notice to. I think Americans, it changed yeah. American perspective of Asian cinema. Um, it, it made it into um, 
ballet. It's it's a dance. It's just so beautiful. And and the the it's such a love letter to so many different types of genres. Um it really is a masterpiece. I I it's it's crazy to me that Gladiator beat it for best picture. Um but you know it it's it's what it is. But yeah, just a just a tremendous film. What's your four, Kenny? I got I have a feeling, Phil, we might go four for four on these top four. Um also Maybe. Crouching Tiger. Okay. Uh, I love Crouching Tiger. I can't remember actually um, being more excited for a movie. There's something about the trailers and the Ang Lee of it and the Asian cinema of it that really excited me at the time. It blew me away. It's it's um, kind of the kind of movie that, uh, like you were alluding to, Phil, but just for me, expanded my horizons. Like actually did ha- actually did have an effect on the way I view movies and view world cinema. So uh, I love it. Great film. What's your four, Chris? Uh, my number four, also a movie that I have done on my podcast. It is Less Caution. Mm. Less Caution fucking rules. It, um, <laughs> I feel like it's one of the most layered and complex of mm. his filmography. It's like a movie you don't know how you feel about what you're watching it's like this noir erotic thriller that's also incredibly like politically observant about um uh world war ii um Mm -hmm. in a very like specific way that we talk like again talking about like this side thing happening while the bigger event is going on um that's something angley loves and it's um uh, Tong Wei, who is the lead of the movie, is like one of my favorite performances of that decade. Really? Okay. Um, she has this really complex, like, spy narrative where it's like the political, um, game that she is playing is very mirrored in the sexual one that she is as well. Um, I, I love that movie. I love, that. I will ride hard. You know, for it's, 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 it's interesting because like, that's the type of movie that the Criterion Collection should be doing, right? Like, that's a movie that deserves to have more people noticing it, you know, to, to, to get sort of that love. It's, I mean, not to keep harping on it, but like, Ride with the Devil doesn't need the love, right? Like, Ride with the Devil doesn't need people to be like, oh, well, I'm going to be a completist and watch the entire Criterion Collection, so I guess I got to watch Ride with the Devil. Yeah, like, it's yeah. it's more about making sure that that movie doesn't get completely forgotten, which it would right. if they right. if they didn't have for it. Sure, for sure, for um, sure. I, I will say, like, Less Caution was the one that I was like, please put that in the Criterion. Actually, Kino mm-hmm. um, has a really great Blu-ray that they just uh, oh, released last year. Um, so I think it's even in like a 4k restoration it looks stunning so my number three is brokeback mountain um i i i struggled i was wrong i struggled with these top three for me um i i i adore brokeback mountain i think it is i think it's a masterpiece i think it's insane obviously the crash beat it for best picture i mean makes no sense. I think it's probably certainly within the last 20 years definitely the most egregious uh winner when everyone obviously was like how did how did Brokeback lose. Um I I remember vividly probably Entertainment Weekly. I remember reading that Angley was going from Hulk to Brokeback Mountain. That 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 his next film was going to be a adaptation of this short story about these two cowboys that fall in love and and I just remembered thinking like, okay, like that, that is a swing and 
I hope it's great, but like that felt risky. And I, and I, I don't mean to say that I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but just like, wasn't sure that was going to work. And if it didn't work, it could be a real blemish on Ang Lee's career to go from hope to that and to quote unquote fail would be a brutal sort of one, two punch. Um, the film comes out and obviously it's a masterpiece. I saw it in the, I remember seeing it at the Arclight in 2005 in the theater and you could hear a pin drop. It was just the, the, the level of how captivated people were by it. Four tremendous performances. People don't give perhaps Michelle Williams and, and Anne Hathaway as much credit as perhaps they deserve in terms of those supporting roles. And Michelle Williams, they do, but do, Anne Hathaway was one of Anne Hathaway's first, first yeah. role. People hardly even acknowledge she was in it. She was fantastic. And she's fantastic. This is it. where gay people are right on. On the uh, on, <laughs> right on, on the history, pulse. because you talk to gay people and they're like Anne fucking Hathaway in that phone call scene. <laughs> incredible, incredible. But it's 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 a it's a it's a tremendous film. Uh, I adore it, um, and I'm sure I'm sure it's on both of your lists. And we'll talk about it more when we get to to your thoughts on it. But Kenny, what's your uh, what's your three? So I was wrong. Uh, my yep, three, I it, yeah, my you like sense of sensibility just a hair more than I do. Where I didn't have a problem picking my one and two. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't have a problem. Picking my your one, two, I had three. a problem. My my order of one and two, I had a problem with. Not mm-hmm. like you had your order with one, two, and three. Uh, sense of sensibility is an amazing movie. Um, I remember seeing it in the theaters in '95 when it came out, and having a little cognitive dissonance that it was directed by an Asian uh, American sure. finding, oh, not in, in, a, a Taiwanese American, yeah. uh, finding that out um, because it felt at once so British and so li- so lived in that period, but it's also so lush, so beautiful. Um, such a unique adaptation. I mean, I've seen the the uh, TV Pride and Prejudice that makes me want to tear my eyeballs out. <laughs> so uh, I'm not really here for I'm not really here for Jane Austen as a rule, right. uh, but I but I, I love it, and I think you can kind of draw a direct line from that to Little Women too. Just um, ways to the recent Little Women mm-hmm. ways to um, adapt a classic piece of British literature in a uh, unusual. Kind of way. Totally. I think Edmund Thompson is obviously amazing. I love Kate Winslet too, and Hugh Grant is so fucking cool in it. So that's great. It's great film. Uh, what's your three, Chris? Uh, my number three would be Crouching Tiger. Actually, uh, it's always fascinating to me, um, and I I realize that in different parts of the world, the movie has been received differently. But it's always fascinating to me that uh, mm-hmm. Ang Lee thought he had a failure on his hands with that movie, um, and it was an incredibly fraught production. And you would mm-hmm. never believe it because it's the most like elegant, poetic. Uh, movie you've ever fucking seen um, uh, yeah I mean what what can you even say about Crouching Tiger that uh, hasn't been elegant is, a, is the word I like it's a perfect way of putting it, it. Yeah, it like, such it, an elegant movie that is when I experience cognitive dissonance when I watch that movie and you read about it and <laughs> he he thought that it he thought that would end his career. Um, well, it's it's interesting because I, I mean I, I remember reading similar stuff around the time, and one of the biggest things was Wu Ping, who does all the the choreography for all the action sequences, the, the martial arts sequences. Um, it was Ang who was like, it needs to be like dancing. They need to literally be like they're flying. It's it's a ballet, and Wu Ping was like, this is this is not going to work. Like, this is not how we do things. Like, this is not... So I imagine that's in his head, too, where he's mm-hmm. just like, I am going against, you know, decades of this genre being done in a specific way. Um, and, and, of course, that's 
the beauty of it is is that he did that. But um, yeah. my number two uh, is uh, is Sense of Sensibility. Um, I too remember seeing it in the theater. Uh, I remember just I am not a Kate uh, Kate a Jane Austen person particular. I'm not even really quite frankly a period British period piece person. Um, yeah, I, I hate are, the Brits. You know that. <laughs> there are some that I love and and truly truly love. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, I can't go particularly deep in that genre. I think part of the reason that I love this one is what you were just saying, Kenny, that uh, whether I was cognizant of it or not, as I was watching it, the, it didn't feel totally British, that it, it, that it was directed by this Taiwanese man who gave it just this slightly different perspective on things um, that just made it feel a little different. And then on top of that, you have this you know, acerbic, brilliant script from Emma Thompson that is kind of deconstructing and fucking with Jane just a little bit in order to make it feel a little fresher and have it a little bit more of a crackle to it. And then just like the deep bench of like Hugh Laurie and, 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 you know, uh, Amelia Staunton and like all of these people that are all, you know, just filling out the, the, the cast. It's just, uh, it's just, it's amazing. And I'll, I will cry every time Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant get to be together at the end of that film. It's just, uh, it's just tremendous. It's great. I, maybe may, maybe I'm yeah. maybe I'm mature enough now to watch some British period pieces that maybe. don't that don't have some kind of pop edge to them. <laughs> um, but, maybe. but me, I don't know. I don't know. I certainly am not mature enough to watch American yeah. period pieces. I don't. don't <laughs> um, I assume I number, know what your two and your one is. But yeah. my number two is broke back. I mean, broke back's a ninety nine for me. Uh, I saw it for the first time at Telluride. I think that your um, your kind of preamble in terms of the perception of that movie yeah. before it came out. I, I mean, I would go even further. Um, that the word "broke back" was already a punchline before the film came out. Yeah. Hall and Heath Ledger were already already had like. Basically, the 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 contracts to to signal the end of their careers in their possessions when that movie came out, like yeah. the it, culture was not ready for this film. Truly, not ready for this film, and it had to be this good. It had to be a plus, a plus, a plus in every way for it to go beyond the small sliv- sliver of society that was willing to even engage yeah. with this kind of movie to people who generally weren't and would only go there because of just incredible word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was one of the more amazing kind of feats ever mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, in terms of overcoming this really dark kind of gross, you know, like uh, like knives out thing for this film. Now the film itself, I think, is just so brilliant, so beautiful, so touching. Um, I think the 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 two main performances, the the two lead performances, um, are are incredible. They're they're. What's interesting about this film is, uh, I think, I I you know look uh, as not a gay person, I may step in shit here, but um, it. <laughs> It isn't just another romance. It doesn't feel like someone grafted a hetero, a, a classic hetero romance 
onto a homosexual story and said, here you go. This feels like a like very much a story between two men falling in love in, I guess it was Montana at that period of time. And not just the way society would have viewed it, which frankly I think is like the easy part to write. The hard part to write is the stuff between them. And that's that's where I think this film really like flies above almost every other film ever made. So uh, it's only two because I'll tell you why in a second. <laughs> what's what's your two, Chris? Uh, my two would be Sense and Sensibility. I mean, you obviously can guess what my number one is going to be. But like between my number one and my number two, it's like when I call Ang Lee a humanist filmmaker, it's like these are the two movies that I think of. Sense and Sensibility, yeah. like, I mean, you know, not to put it in too easy of terms, but when we think of like costume dra- dramas, like classic literature adaptation, like, even some of the best have this emotional remove. And like, it's amazing to me what, and I think like, this is, it's the movie that a lot of other uh, movies like it are chasing in terms of the emotional access, the emotional understanding, the way to actually bring that to the screen of people who live lives very different from us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Angley just like, has it in this movie like understands the very specific emotional context that these people live in the like uh the relationship dynamics that make it this movie where we're fucking sobbing by the end (laughs) at sense and sensibility which is like you know at the at the end of the day it is a comedy but we have this huge emotional response to it and i think it's because he really like has an empathy for these, for these sisters for, and like understands not just like who they are as people, but like what it means to live their lives as they do in the time that they did. Yeah. I I think that, you know, there's a lot to be said and, and there has been a lot said about the way Ang Lee actually directs his actors, the way he is a director on set. Uh, he, he's a very reserved person. Uh, he, he, you know, very few words, the way that he sort of directs. There's Hugh Grant told a great story about how the first day on set after a take, Ang Lee went up to him and said, I don't know how to say this, but what can you be better? <laughs> now, I think that, which I think is just fantastic because he kind of hides behind the language barrier, but also gets, there's just, there's something very uh, interesting about the way that he approaches these films and, and just that the spectrum of it is tremendous. What we've talked about just in these five films or our five picks is really just pretty spectacular. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I, my number one, and I think it's Kenny's as well, but I mean, The Ice Storm, I think, is a movie that was pretty seminal for me. It's kind of a, a DNA film for me in a lot of ways. I was 17 when it came out, I believe it was 97, correct, Kenny, I think? 97, 97 yeah. yeah. yeah so like I'm 17 nice. years old, I'm right around the age that Tommy McGuire's character is uh, and Elijah Wood's character. Like I'm, I'm very much sort of in that in that mode. I read the book, the Rick Moody book as well. And I was just, I was right, like I was all about Aang after Sense and Sensibility, so I was just really excited to see what he did next. And and the Ice Storm obviously was was his follow up. Um, the Criterion is a beautiful film or beautiful, you know, uh, transfer and everything. But that movie is just that the score is spectacular. The look of it, I know that people talk about. It's called the Ice Storm, so I think there's a lot of projection going on too. Of mm-hmm. like, it's a chilly movie. It's a cold. I, I actually agree with you. I don't think it's a particularly cold film. I think it's about people 
struggling with their emotions and figuring out how to express themselves. But I don't think it's actually, I think it's a very open hearted movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and, and yeah, I just, I, I, the end of that film, the Elijah Wood, you know, resolution, I don't want to spoil the film for people who haven't seen it, but it's, it's just, it's, it's a heartbreaking, powerful, tremendous movie that I, that I adore. Kenny. Yeah, me too. Uh, Ice Storm number one. Ice Storm <laughs> is um, probably my my. I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie, but it's my favorite film in the genre I aspire to work in. Um, it is my. It is like my guiding light for uh, what I would like to do when I grow up uh, and become a big time guy. So. Uh, <laughs> I I, it's a I, great movie. I, it's a I great do I I love it so much. I've been actually kind of pestering my wife to um to watch it with me recently because since White Lotus, I've had a lot of ice storm on the mind because they're you kind of working with they're working with similar themes and they're working mm-hmm. with similar characters and it's this you know I obviously this takes place and I I think it's I, I thought it was the late seventies it might be the early eighties Phil but um. I, it, it's it's obviously a very different time period, but you know, so little has changed, and uh, these these white comfortable characters are always kind of the same white comfortable characters. But again, to your point, Chris, and this is what makes Aang such a brilliant filmmaker, and it's why Ride with the Devil is a bad choice for him. Um, he is so empathic towards his characters, yes, no yes. matter their station in life. Um, and I, I think you, you that that comes across with every frame of the ice storm. And you know, I, 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 I've, my parents have lived for the last twenty years in the town next to New Canaan, um, <laughs> so that is uh, the, the 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 world of that film. Like, kind of lives within me too, um, or or more literally, I live in, sure. live within the sure. world world of that film. So I understand these characters really well. I believe these characters really well. I grew up with these people. I lived in those basements. I've, you know, I've hit hit around in those rooms and fucked around in those, in those, you know, uh, woods. Those those woods with the leaves on the ground, and I've yeah. seen the ice, you know, in real life, you know, kind of envelop the trees like that. And it's it's a it's a very singular thing that he gets literally perfect, and it's almost impossible for me to understand because so few people were actually there. Um, in that this is not this is not Greenwich this is not Scarsdale this is this is the woods this is like an hour and a half away from New York City and uh, to find that perfect little 1970s uh, simulacrum is just really remarkable to me so I do it's remarkable for it's it's remarkable in so many ways and I would also just say too that um, you do feel this forgive me, but this sort of international component that he's brought to it as well, there is an otherworldliness that he's bringing to it that makes it feel like, you know, there's just a perspective on it. I think about the score, which is a beautiful score, but also the, the, the instruments that are being used are not instruments that you would necessarily correlate with this time period. There's just a lot of sort of very interesting choices that are going on, but Listen, Kenny and I can talk about the ice storm at, at <laughs> nauseum, and, and maybe someday we will. But what's what is your what's yeah. your number one, Chris? I mean, my number one is Brokeback Mountain. Uh, it's interesting because it's a movie that I kind of like. I don't want to say had to grow up with, but like it didn't sure. hit me on my first watch. I was freshly into college. I think I was. Uh, when did it come out? Oh six or oh five. 
05. So like I, it's my freshman year of college and like, you know, you, I think to fully uh, understand the weight of that movie, you have to live a little life. Um, sure. Sure. And like, you, you just watch it now and it's just like every single moment. Uh, it, it's, it's a movie that you watch and it's like, you really can't take anything out and they mm-hmm. utilize every single moment to get so much like, not just feeling, but understanding out of all of these people. And like, um, it, you know, I, I think with all of us in our like top fives that we've picked, it's uh, one of the defining things for Ang Lee for me is like, he really develops a rich sense of context in all of his movies, or at least in his best movies where it's like, it is not just about what you are witnessing in the story, but like the setting in which it takes place and how integral it is to understand that, to understand his characters, mm-hmm. you know, to, to really like get at what, you know, makes them unique um, in terms totally of great. like the, like, because somebody else would make Brokeback Mountain and like, you wouldn't understand like uh, these the four leads basically in the way that you would, you wouldn't even understand Anna Ferris uh, in the way that you do, because yeah. like uh, her, all of these characters are products of their environment. Um, could you, could you conceive of any other director taking this movie on? Not in turning out the movie that uh, it is uh, certainly yeah. not. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that I can't imagine a movie. So, humanist as you as you said you know that he approached this film with just such uh open arms and and open-heartedness and 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 absolutely no judgment i mean that's it's you said it best kind of earlier kenny when you were like this is why ride with the devil is a problem is that he's not approaching these characters with any judgment and they deserve to be judged he, to some he, degree he, you know what he i mean never he never does and look it's like it's very healthy Yes, it's, it's a very healthy. healthy you no, know, it is. It's a very right. healthy approach for life, and it's also a pretty like. It's a way to keep your sanity too when you're making a film sure. to not judge your characters like that. But I think the it, it's it's not the non judgment. I mean, like it is a problem for the movie, but like I think the bigger problem for the movie is that it's not actually developing that level of insight into the characters mm-hmm. too. It's mm-hmm. like you can't just have the one. You ha- like what makes his movie special is that it's a combination of like non-judgment and understanding of who they are, and like totally. he doesn't. You're, make you're talking about. In this movie. You're talking about Brokeback uh, or Ride with the Devil. Special. Ride, Ride with the Devil. Yeah. 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 I mean, Ride. It's it's uh, you're totally right. It's not that I need necessarily need him to condemn it. I need to be able <laughs> to condemn him. So I don't need the filmmaker to, to to say this is bad. I just need the filmmaker to be objective. And I don't. Right, and I feel right. like that this may not have been. It may not have been Ang Lee. It might have been James Shamus. But I do think the deck is a little weighted uh, in the favor of these protagonists. That these are some guys that you should you know feel some empathy for and you know they can fucking die of gangrene as far as i'm concerned so chris next week i'm very curious to hear your thoughts on the film we're covering next week it's a film that i think might have had some oscar buzz um i don't think you guys have covered it yet on your podcast but um next week we're covering jacob the liar um the, the robin <laughs> i <Williams> mean <laughs> i mean that uh, movie... what are your thoughts on jacob the liar chris <laughs> i've seen it 
not since the first time I saw it in 1999. Uh, can't imagine why. I don't envy you boys. Um, I mean, Fortunately, we already recorded it. So exactly. it's already <laughs> you're, so you're good. Like at yeah, the current we, moment, yes, you are. You are. You've made it. We're post Jacob. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> It, it, it was also coming off of Life is Beautiful, so the more like cynical Oscar predictions, yeah, yeah it was probably there. But like that movie died immediately. <laughs> and he's yeah. post his Oscar win for Goodwill Hunting, right? So he's just yeah. like riding high. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a it's, it's a rough cynical. few years for Robin and his movies. It, it's it's, uh, it's so sad to talk about like his obviously with his with his passing it makes it that much sad. Know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know it's, what that I'll say this though. I think I speak for Kenny. <laughs> I, I think I speak for Kenny when I say that both of us expected it to be a worse experience than it was. Without question. Without question. So Isn't it only like 90 minutes or something too. What? It's it's a little longer than that. Oh, it, never it, mind. it doesn't breeze by. But I'll just say that I was expecting something far more egregious. And f- I, I think that I just I was I I had I had my loins girded for this one. You were expecting and life is beautiful. Yes. yes, yes. Which I watched for the first time like last year, and I was ready to fucking flip a table. Yes, by the end of it. Uh, that's that. I think that yeah, was, was what so that, that's exactly why I think we had our yeah. our guard up because I yeah. thought it would be I thought it would be like really tweet, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah. I thought it would be really twee about it, but it's not. Like it's it's no look, it's not a good movie, but it's not bad for the reasons I feared. It's just bad because it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's exactly it. Like I, I had my I had I mean, listen, I my I have family that that were Holocaust survivors. I was definitely concerned. Um and then I watched it and I was like, you know what? Like this, it's not good, but it's not offensive. Yeah. Like I was, I was yeah, feared we that I feared that a movie that was going to make me go like, how could people get behind this thing? But you know, anyway, it's just, it's just not a good movie, but. And the uh, irony but, of yeah. it's your point, Chris, the irony of it is, uh, I, I do think it's a real, I, I think everything about it's really cynical, right? Particularly in the wake of Life is Beautiful. I think trying to do any other like silly Holocaust stuff is like, go fuck yourself and, you know, jump off a building. But it isn't actually, it isn't actually that. It's almost like they found the wrong script. Yeah. Um, yep. And it's, it is a weirdly a remake of a seven, uh, yeah, German movie from the 70s uh-huh. or something. Yeah. And, it's, and it's also in the shadow of the clown who cri- the day the clown cried. Uh, yes, Correct. we all, Correct. we always live in the shadow of the day of the clown. <laughs> well, it's just, it, yeah. <laughs> it'll just be there one day for us to see. It, it will, it will. Yeah, it's that's it what I'm going to do after I do my Mickey Mouse spec for Paramount for 2024, which I'm very excited for. Oh I, 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 I'm going to find the day the clown cried, and I'm going to do a, uh, I'm going to do a reboot, maybe an edgy reboot. We'll see. I think there's something too, and we talk about this on the episode, but, but it, you know. A miscalibration on on Robin's part, right? Like I think that Robin Williams, when he, you know, when he was on and when the material matched, and he was able to calibrate himself perfectly, like it, there's nobody better. There was nobody better. Um, but if it's the material doesn't sync up with him, right, it can feel just all wrong, and mm-hmm. and you can't just prop up a camera on Robin Williams. And say, "Do Good Morning Vietnam" in a Holocaust 
you know, concentration well, camp. Like, like that you, just doesn't work. You always work. understand it from a career perspective, too, because, like, yeah. it makes me emotional to say, but it's like he was our greatest empath. And it's yeah. like, yeah. so you understand these things that don't work, and they don't work yeah. not because of him. Agreed. But, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's a weird movie. Um, but we had Toby Herman on to talk about it, our, our resident uh, Jewish guest who comes on for all things Jewish. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and she came on and we, we talked about it. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's, it's coming up next week. But more than anything, Chris, thank you so, so much for coming on and talking about Ride with the Devil with us. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I mean, Thank like, you, I know Chris. that, and I'm sure you guys have had it before too, where it's like you have a really boring movie to talk about. And, you know, but at the same time, this was a blast. Thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, this was for absolutely sure. a blast. We Thanks hope that you'll come up. back in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, whenever you want me. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Jan Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.